Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 this evening. When you think about heaven, what do you think about? If you were to describe heaven, what would you think of to describe heaven? We'd probably describe it as the presence of God, a place of holiness. There's going to be angels there. It's a place of purity, a place of beauty, a place of perfection, a sinless place. These are some of the descriptions that we might give if we were to describe heaven. And as we think about Jesus leaving heaven and coming to this earth, it's hard for us to comprehend what it must have been like for him. You know, we take it for granted so many times. Well, of course, he just came to this earth. Earth's a pretty nice place to live. Compared to heaven? <laughs> I don't think so. It was a huge, I mean, if you could say a huge culture shock to him. I mean, he's God and he knows all things. But what a shock. What a change. And I'm not suggesting that God was shocked in that sense, but God knows everything and he is everything. But at the same time, God, he, it was such a change for him to leave heaven's glory and all that was there and come to this earth and live among men. And for us, it's hard to imagine. And this evening, as we examine the incarnation or the, the coming to earth and becoming a man incarnation of Jesus Christ, from Jesus' standpoint, I want us to notice his threefold mission uh, that ought to uh, that we ought to learn valuable lessons that can help our own lives. These are some things that can help each one of us, and I, I think that it'll be a help to us. Number one thing I want us to notice here, but first of all, let's go ahead and read the passage. Philippians chapter two and verse number five. We're going to start with Philippians two verse five. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Now, that's a key verse. We're going to come back to that. But think about what he's just said there. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. He said, I want you, and it's actually a command. It's an imperative. He said, I'm commanding you to have the mind of Christ. And then he goes on and tells us what the mind of Christ was. Verse 6, who being in form of God, taught on our robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men, for being found in a fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Now, thinking on that, Christ left heaven and became one of us. And it says there that he emptied himself. In theological terms, that phrase is referred to as the kenosis of Christ. Kenosis. You'll see that term if you dig into anything very deeply about this passage. It means that he emptied himself. But you ask, you know, did he empty himself of his deity? No. He was still God, always was God, and always will be God. It says there that he had the form of God and he and knew that it was not robbery to be equal with God. So he said he had God's form and he knew that he was equal with God and there was nothing wrong with that because he was God. So he didn't give up his deity. He didn't empty himself as a deity. Did he empty himself of his divine attributes or even a few of them? No, I don't believe he did. Uh, he still was omniscient. He was still omnipotent. He was able to do miraculous things that no one else could do. 
So he didn't empty himself of his attributes. But then, if he didn't empty himself of these, what did he empty himself of? Well, Jesus laid aside the privileges that were his in heaven. He laid aside the privileges that were his in heaven. It was no small thing for the sovereign God of the universe, the creator of all things, to lay aside the heavenly privileges and empty himself of all of that and come to this earth as one of his own creation. Now, as we think about the heavenly privileges, let me just throw out a few for us to think about. First of all, he set aside his heavenly glory. When he was in heaven, he was the glory of God because he was God. And all the angels glorified him and everybody would bow to him and glorify him. And he laid that aside when he came to this earth and people spat at him and cursed him and swore at him and mistreated him and eventually crucified him. He laid aside his heavenly glory. He set aside the riches, beauty, and comforts of heaven that he'd always enjoyed. You know, when we get used to a certain standard of living, and even when we go camping, let's say you go out tent camping, and it doesn't take very long to figure out, wow, this ground's kind of hard, not very soft. Hmm, don't, it's never easy to wash dishes. Where, where's the toilet? Oh, that thing over there? Ooh. You know, there's a lot of privileges and things that we enjoy in just our type of living. But can you imagine leaving the glories of heaven where everything was absolutely perfect and coming down to this earth? What a change. What a change. He laid aside all that beauty and riches and comforts of heaven. He voluntarily refrained from using his divinity to make life easier. He could have said, you know, I I think I need a little softer bed here. You know, just, I got a little softer bed here. He didn't do that. He didn't use his divine power to make life easy. He endured the hardships of life. During his incarnation, he submitted himself to the will of the Father. You know, that's one of the areas where our minds kind of stretch and we get a little bit hard to grasp. How could God the Father be in heaven and God the Son be on earth? They're the same being, but they're in two different places. And God the Son submitting to God the Father. And, you know, unbelievers say, bunch of nonsense. You can't do that. That's crazy. But, you know, we need to remember that when our mind starts getting stretched like that, we think this isn't adding up. God is not like us. You know, we struggle with that because somehow we think that God must be like me. You know, that I, I have one body and I have, uh, it's one me. And God is three persons in one being. And I can't grasp that because I'm not like that. But God doesn't have to be like us. And I'm glad he's not. Um, but God, the Father, was in heaven. And Jesus Christ, God the Son, submitted to him while he was on earth. We find also that he did not use his equality with God, but became humble and obedient and a servant. We see even this passage, it talks about his humility. It talks about his being a servant, verse 7, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. Servant. The word servant there is doulas. It's a word that refers to a slave. He took on the form of a slave that had no rights. And 
you know, none of us have ever been in a situation like that. Thankfully, we don't have slavery in our world. Or in, in our, I shouldn't say in our world, I think there probably is slavery in some places, but in our third, or our, our first world country that we live in. We don't know that. It's not part of our, our culture. But Christ became a servant or a slave and humbled himself. Also, he operated within the limitations of humanity. Jesus got tired. Jesus got hungry. Jesus got thirsty. And he lived within those limitations. And even when the devil tried to tempt him and say, come on, you can make these stones into bread, Jesus stayed within the limitations of his humanity. He didn't turn those stones into bread, even though he had the power to do that. And he limited himself in these ways. And it is his humble, obedient, servant mind that God commands us that every Christian needs to adopt. When he said there in verse 5, let this mind be in you. He's saying, you too need to be humble like Christ. You too need to be submissive like Christ. You too need to be a servant like Christ. That's a big task for us. But one that's important. And God wants that from each of us. But then we find that not only in his humbling mission was did he empty himself, but in his humbling mission, Jesus became the poorest of men. He became the poorest of men. The human mind cannot comprehend the riches of God. You know, we sing songs like, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, the wealth in every mine. But all that this world has is not even a drop in the bucket compared to all that God owns. I mean, he owns everything. Absolutely everything that exists belongs to him. So the little bit of gold and silver in the mines and all the things like that, we say, whoa, that was a lot. To God, that's nothing. He owns it all. And he had always had everything there was. But you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse number 9 these words. For ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He left all the splendor and riches that he had and became beggarly poor for us. He became beggarly poor to give us life. And for our sakes, he did that. Of his birth, we read in Luke chapter 2, verse 7, that she, Mary, brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. I grew up as a farm boy. My parents were pretty poor when we were kids. They didn't go around telling us, oh, we're poor. But we knew we were pretty poor. Most of our clothes had patches on it. And whenever we bought clothes, we usually bought them at second hand and then brought them home. When we wore them through, we'd patch them up. We were pretty poor. But I wasn't born in a barn. I didn't stay my first night in a manger with the animals. Jesus was among the poorest of the poor. And he did that that he might be able to reach down to the lowest of men. 
If he had been born in the palace, how could he reach down to us? We're just ordinary people. But he was born among the poorest of men. And during his ministry, he had no home. Luke chapter 9, verse 58, Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said, I don't even have a place of my own to call my home that I can lay my head. I don't have my own pillow. He said, I sleep on somebody else's pillow every night. Jesus had nothing in this world. And he gave up all of that to come down here to live among the simplest of people to be able to reach out and die for everyone. So his mission was, first of all, a humbling mission. But secondly, in his incarnation, Jesus' mission was a ministering mission. It was a humbling mission, but it was also a ministering mission. Jesus came to earth to do God's will. Jesus' time on earth was not a holiday. It was not an observation trip. He wasn't coming down to check on men and see how things were going down here. It wasn't just a, a, a trip of that nature. It was a mission that, to do God's will. God sending specifically for a very specific purpose. John chapter 4 and verse 34, Jesus was talking to the woman at the well. And Jesus saith unto them, at this point he was talking to his disciples, but he had been talking to the woman. Jesus saith unto them, his disciples, my meat or my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. He says, my food is to do God's will. That's what I'm here for. That's what he lived for. That's what his passion was. Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, Jesus said, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. He came to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so he gave himself to meet our needs. And while on earth, Jesus sought to do God's will. And all that he did. And what an example for us. God is asking us to seek to live for His glory. That's really the whole purpose we are here. To glorify Him. And yet we have such a struggle. Remember the verse we saw there in Jeremiah when we were talking to Kaki? And how God says, the thing that is, the real thing that matters is that we know God and we can give glory to God because of who He is. John chapter 6 and verse 38 says, For Jesus said, For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And when Jesus was in the garden, Jesus prayed, saying, Father, if thou wilt, uh, if thou art willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He prayed, God, I, You know, I I often wonder what Jesus was thinking that night. He knew what was ahead. And I hesitate to say he was scared. I don't think he was necessarily scared, but he prayed so earnestly and so emotionally that his sweat was like great drops of blood. And some people say that it 
could have been actual drops of blood that came from him because he was so emotional about this. He knew what was ahead. Now, why was he so fearful? Was it just the cross? I believe it was the cross in part, but it was what was behind the cross. It was the weight of the sin of the world upon him that day that he bore our sin. And to think that he knew that the Father would turn his back on him. And he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew that would happen. And all this weighed heavy upon him. And yet, he bore all that. And was willing to do God's will, even to death. And so his ministering mission was to do God's will. But his Jesus also came to this earth for a special mission. It was a special mission. It was a mission to suffer. That's the very reason he came. He came to suffer in our place. What amazing love. He didn't come to give us a good example. A lot of people have this idea that Jesus was a great example for us to follow. And he was, but that's not why he came. He came to suffer. And if we were to you know, if someone was to ask for volunteers, you know, we got this suffering mission. Who would like to volunteer? <laughs> I don't think you'd get many takers. When suffering comes our way, we try to fight and find a way to escape. But Jesus knew that. And yet in, we read in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should taste death for every man. He came to this earth to suffer, to taste death for me and for you and for all those out in the world that curse him and hate him. He died for all. Amazing love. Jesus willingly fulfilled his special mission. It wasn't that the Father was putting pressure on him. Jesus said in John 10, verse 18, He says, No man taketh it from me, but I lay, down, lay it down on myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. This commandment have I received of my Father. When he talked about it, he's talking about his life. He said, I have power to lay it on my life, and I have power to take it up again. No man's going to take it away from him. You know, we have, you know there's a song that um, I heard as a, as a youth, uh, Who Killed Jesus? Maybe some of you have heard that song. Was it Pontius Pilate? Was it the, you know, the, was it the Jews? Was it, who was it that killed Jesus? And the song concludes that it was me. I killed Jesus. It was my sin to put him on the cross. And yet the truth is, Jesus laid down his life for us. It was us that caused him to have to go to the cross. But he gave his life for us. And that is a wonderful truth. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He's talking about the Old Testament law that said, thou shalt not, and if thou do this, they're going to die. Again and again, do this or you die. Do this or you die. The handwriting of ordinances, and you see, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. Hebrews 9, 12, neither... By the blood of bulls and of goats, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. He paid it all. Wonderful, wonderful gift. 
Now consider with me this next verse especially. Hebrews 5 verse 8. Though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. He learned obedience by the things he suffered. Then back in Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He learned obedience. As you think about that, again, it's hard for our mind to kind of put it all together. But God had never experienced obedience. Because he's God. Everybody is to bow to him. There is no higher. Obedience means that there's someone over me telling me what to do. There is no one over him telling him what to do. He is the top. He is God. And he learned obedience by suffering. When we suffer... And we go through difficulties, whether it be physical difficulties or emotional difficulties or persecution difficulties. We need to be obedient to him and follow him. And I think that this is one of the times that it is the most difficult to obey God when we're suffering. Let me give you a couple of verses to explain myself. These are two of the hardest verses in the Bible when you're suffering. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That's not usually the first thing that comes to my mind when I'm suffering. Rejoice in the Lord, Philippians 4.4. And another one, just as hard, maybe harder, 1 Thessalonians 5.18. And everything gives thanks, but this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. God said, in the midst of suffering, we need to obey Him. We need to obey these two verses. Rejoice in the Lord, and in everything give thanks. Not easy. Jesus learned obedience through His suffering. And we too need to learn obedience through the sufferings we go through. That we might obey God and do what He wants us to do. But then thirdly, we've seen so far that the incarnation was a humbling mission for Christ. It was a ministering mission for Christ. But thirdly, it was a rewarding mission for Christ. Remember, he came with a reason. He came with a duty. And he came to provide salvation for sinners. Jesus made that very clear. I'm come to seek and to save that which is lost. We'll see that in just a moment here. But Joseph was confused about the whole ordeal. We'll talk a little bit more about that next Sunday morning. Joseph gets the news that, from Mary that uh, she's expecting a baby. And Joseph says, I can't believe that. It's not my baby. You've been unfaithful to me. And he was shattered. And then the angel comes to him, and I don't want to spoil next Sunday's message, so let me just abbreviate it. The angel comes to him, and the angel explains in Matthew one twenty one. he says, And she shall bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, and he shall save his people from their sins. He will save his people for his sins. That's why Jesus came, on a mission. And then the verse I mentioned a moment ago, Luke 19.10, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. He came for a purpose, to seek and to save the lost. 
And Jesus' salvation gives eternal life, but it also gives abundant life. Remember John chapter 10, verse number 10? The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. He came to give us eternal life, but he came to give us abundant life. And that is a wonderful truth. God doesn't want us to live lives that are discouraged and defeated and down all the time. He wants us to have victory. He wants us to be an abundant life. And one day, heaven will ring with these words. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. You can read that in Revelation 5.12. What a day that will be. When all in heaven, it says the, all the angels, the innumerable number of named angels, and the saints will all be there, and the heaven will ring out, worthy is the lamb that was slain. Because Jesus Christ paid the debt for our sin. It was a reward to Christ to be able to fulfill his mission that he came to do. But also Jesus' incarnation was rewarding because it pleased the Father. It pleased the Father. Jesus' lovingly sacrifice for our sins was a sweet-smelling savor to the Father. Sometimes I wonder about that in the Old Testament when they'd be burning these sacrifices and they'd say, made a sweet-smelling savor to God. If you've ever been around burning flesh, that wouldn't really be the thought that come to my mind. Sweet-smelling savor. But it wasn't so much the smell that God was enjoying. It was the obedience behind the offering. They were doing what he's asked them to do to cover their sin. And that was the sweet-smelling savor. And Jesus Christ here paid the debt, not just for a person, but for the world. And it was a sweet-smelling savor. Ephesians 5.2 says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Jesus Christ gave himself to be able to be that perfect sacrifice that when consumed, it just pleased God completely. Full propitiation because of his offering. And to show his complete satisfaction with what Christ did, we saw a few weeks back in Hebrews 12, verse 2, that the Father invited Jesus to sit down beside him in a throne in heaven. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for or in exchange for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and was set down at the right hand of the throne of God. No one else could sit there. Even when the disciples asked Jesus, hey, can we sit by your right hand and the left side? And Jesus said, listen, this isn't for you. To, isn't, isn't for you. And the Father welcomed him back and put him down at his right side because Jesus had paid the debt in full. He had finished his mission. And then some of the most exciting verses and yet some of the most terrifying verses in the Bible. Back in our text, Philippians chapter 2. Look at verse 9. Verse 9. Wherefore, 
Because of all this, because Christ did all this, because he died on the cross for us, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Every knee will bow. For many, sadly, for many unbelievers, they will bow and they will confess, but it will be too late to escape hell. Now is the time to do everything we can urge people to turn to Christ and bow the knee to Him now before it is too late. They will bow one day. But if they don't bow now, it will be too late to bow later. If we bow now, we can have eternal life through Jesus Christ. So from Jesus' perspective, as He looked at the incarnation that was ahead of Him, It was a humbling mission. It required that he become a poor human, like one of those creatures that he created. It was a ministering mission where he reached out to others to minister to them with nothing in return for him other than the glory of doing it. But it was also a rewarding mission. A rewarding mission in that He was able to give us eternal life. And it was a rewarding mission in that the Father was glorified and pleased and invited Him back and it was a sweet-smelling savor and God exalted Him. Gave Him a name that was above every name. The name Jesus is the name that men will bow to one day. Jesus was to be our example. And when he said there in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That is a command that is huge. When you stop and think about what Christ became and what he did, we have a, a duty before us. We have no excuse to say, but I've got a right to be proud, or I've got a right to be, you know, you know, upset about this, or I got a right to, you know, not like this. No, we have no rights at all. Jesus Christ gave up everything He had in the glories of heaven to come to this earth for us. And He says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. We need to be like Christ. It's a big task, but He wouldn't command us to do it if it wasn't possible to reach out to And so, it needs to be our passion, my passion, your passion. Every day, I want to be like Jesus. I want to live like Jesus. I want to be clean like Jesus. I want to be pure like Jesus. I want to be righteous like Jesus. And strive to that end. And work to that end. And make it our goal and our ambition. And God will bless you if you'll do that.